Wolf Pack, what is going on? It's the Wolf of Roto Street, rotostreetjournal.com, here with another episode of On the Fantasy Beat, a product of the Fantasy Fullback Dive, where we pave your path to 2019 titles. And of course, we're kicking off the 2019 season with our boy, Grant Cohen. You guys either love or you hate him because he has the boldest of the takes for 49ers. He brings a great dash of realism to this team that I think a lot of 49ers fans don't like to hear. Uh, but fantasy-wise, his takes have been great league winners in the past, and I think he's bringing some amazing heat today. We break down the new rookie receivers and when, if ever, they're going to get acclimated into this offense. That disgusting backfield. Do we must avoid this situation, or could some sneaky value be found down the stretch run? Is Jimmy G actually going to ever stay healthy for 16 games? And if so, what could his expect- expectations be for fantasy owners? And Kyle Shanahan on the hot seat? If we got another down year tons of interesting and relevant takes for all you fantasy guys out there so i hope you guys enjoy this wolf pack let me know your thoughts find me on at roto street wolf and you can get grant cohen as well uh here we go listen to these takes fullback belly three tight ends including haydner coon is the fullback with the first and goal coon gets the ball the All right, we are back here with Grant Cohen, the third, maybe fourth time returnee of the fullback dive, officially takes the title from Ryan Hannibal, now our most long recurring guest, which is fantastic, yeah, celebrate over there, columnist for the Santa Rosa Press Democrat, covers the 49ers, he's been doing that since 2011, and we just keep having him back because we love the bold, scorching takes here at the fullback dive, and our guy Cohen always lets him rip, and many of them have benefited our fantasy owners, so Grant, how you doing? Thanks for coming back on. I'm doing all right. I'm ready to bring the scorching hot takes for you today, man. Let's do this. Love it, love it, love it. So we'll get right in there. And last year, one of your semi-scorching takes was that the the 49ers were going to underwhelm. Everybody was all about them. They were the darling of the NFL. Uh, And you predicted a 7-9 and season, and that was even before Jimmy Garoppolo goes down. And then the wheels fall completely off after week three. So impressive take there. But Jimmy G obviously was a huge reason for their lack of success or his, his lack of presence there. What's the latest on him? His recovery and what are we expecting out of him in 2019 what's the latest out of him well you know we we talked to him a couple of weeks ago and he said he's ahead of schedule Good. just like every athlete ever has has yeah. said about their recovery from an acl surgery so the question is is he actually going to participate in team drills and in in training camp and we'll see uh right the the expectation is, is he's going to be ready for week one if he plays 16 games I would expect his numbers would be around somewhere around 4,000 yards, 25 touchdowns, and 16 picks. Mm-hmm. He's thrown a lot of picks with the Niners. Uh, his TD to INT ratio hasn't been great, but uh, he's thrown for a lot of yards. Nick Mullins threw for a lot of yards. I mean, their production in this scheme has been pretty similar. Mm-hmm. You can look at what Nick Mullins did in eight games last year and pretty much prorate that out of over 16 games, maybe give – Jimmy Garoppolo a little bit of a bump, but I expect at the end of the season his quarterback rating will be around 93, 94. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then, but really the issue with Garoppolo from a fantasy perspective, if, if you're thinking about 
investing in Garoppolo. The issue isn't necessarily his picks or his yards. It's his durability. Mm-hmm. You want a guy who's going to give you 16 games, 16 weeks. Russell Wilson's never missed a game in his life. Garoppolo's only played 10 games. He's 27. Uh, he started two games for the Patriots, separated his shoulder, started eight games for the 49ers towards ACL. So the burden's on him to show that he can last a full season. And if, if you're drafting him high, you're betting on him, on, on these injuries just being flukes. If you pass on him, you're saying this guy, this guy might not have the uh, the body type, the durability to last in the NFL. He's, after all, an Eastern Illinois guy. He was never really tested in college. Yeah, and at a, a position so just deep in talent right now, quarterback fantasy-wise, it just uh, he's not too high on my radar. I mean, the floor you illustrated is very low with those injury concerns. And then the ceiling, is it even that great? Like your, your projection, 4,000 yards and 25, 30 TDs? You can find that pretty much exactly. anywhere in fantasy these days. So I'm yeah. personally not on the Jimmy G train, uh, and you illustrated a lot of the reasons why. But one reason people might get excited about him, and on the plus side is, They've added a lot of weaponry this draft. Who knows exactly how it will fit in? That's what I'm interested to hear your take on. we got South Carolina's Debo Samuel coming with the 36th pick, and then right after, in the third round, they go Baylor's Jalen Hurd at 67. What do you think these rookies are going to bring to the table, and how do you think they're going to be used with Kyle Shanahan here? Yeah, that's a great question. On the one hand, Kyle Shanahan handpicked these players, and his pride— these guys on the field and give them uh, targets and opportunities to justify his selection of them. On the other hand, he knows that his scheme is one of the more one of the most complex schemes in the NFL and, and most difficult to learn. There's the longest learning curve. It takes people a long time to to get it down. He already has people on his wide receivers on his team that have been in the system two three years. They're way ahead of the curve. Last year. Shanahan drafted Dante Pettis around the same spot he drafted Debo Samuel, and Pettis didn't start right away. Pettis wasn't ready to start right away. We talked to him in the locker room. He would say, you know, I, there's just so much thinking I have to do from from the huddle to going out to my position. I'm thinking, well, you know, what route am I running? What position am I am I playing? It took him until week 11 where he was really comfortable enough to start. So with Debo, what I'm expecting early is he'll be the punt returner, the kick returner, and then he'll compete with – Marquise Goodwin probably to be the number three receiver. I think Goodwin will probably be like the Taylor Gabriel type, the, guy, the number three guy who comes in in the middle of the field. And then early on, Debo will probably be the slot receiver who comes in or, or an outside receiver who comes in in the red zone maybe and uh, or, or third down. He'll compete with Trent Taylor for those opportunities. I think Debo will probably get his his opportunity to start more toward the back end of the schedule, just like Pettis last year. I think Kendrick Bourne probably will be given the first opportunity to start at flanker just because he's a three-year pro. He's been in the system. He knows what he, he knows the, the scheme inside and out. He has the experience advantage over deep. I think he'll probably start early. He's not that great. So as the, the season progresses, I think Debo will take that job. So he's an interesting player to draft in fantasy because he probably won't give you much early outside of special teams and, and jet sweeps and maybe an occasional reverse or screen. But by the end of the season – he could be getting a lot of opportunities in an offense that passes a lot. And the other guy, Jalen Hurd, to me, he seems like more of a project. I don't know if, if he even if there's a, a role for him. For Debo, he slides into that Pierre Garçon role eventually. He could be a, a, a slot receiver, punt returner, kick returner early. For Jalen Hurd, he's kind of like a project. Let's see what he can do and then figure it out along mm-hmm. the way. They said he's a, he's a wide receiver kind of. I, I think 
I, I, he's probably not going to be a fantasy football option as a rookie. But for the 49ers, I think the way they probably would use him if he's even active on d- game days would be probably in the red zone again. Remember, he was a he's six foot five, 230 pounds. He played running back for three years in the SEC. They might use him as a goal line back, considering most all of their running backs are 200 pounds. This guy's 230. Or they could split him out uh, like mm. you know like like a Rob Gronkowski tight end type in the red zone and throw jump balls to him. So. Maybe they'll, they'll see him as a gadget player who can improve their 32nd rank red zone offense, or maybe they see him as a long-term project, but probably not someone you would draft in a fantasy league. Absolutely. It's, it's good stuff to know. I think Debo Samuel is already getting a ton of hype in fantasy, and it's important that you noted the steep learning curve, and it might take him a while to get going. A lot of people are just saying lack of targets, and then Debo Samuel, clearly they wanted him. He's going to step in and be the wide receiver one, and it's pretty clear, at least in your opinion, that he's going to have to learn a bit beforehand, and I think that's smart. We saw it with some of those other guys you mentioned, uh, and the one that I'm most intrigued who you mentioned but is uh, Dante Pettis. I think early in the, the offseason, Shanahan says this is our best receiver. He can play all three positions, and it, it was a steep learning curve. He was injured for a lot of the season as well, but we saw that brief flash where we had that four weeks of just you know, dominant performances almost. 17 catches, 338 yards, four TDs, and his only four healthy weeks as the fifth most pa- fantasy points for wide receivers in that span. So I liked a lot about him. They obviously didn't feel comfortable enough to, to avoid wide receiver, though. So what do you think? Is he going to be the top guy here? How do you see it all shaking out? Um, is he still in line for that breakout a lot of people were projecting him for? Well, the thing I, I want to highlight that you said is that Kyle Shanahan said he's his top wide receiver. So that's all you need to know. Mm-hmm. This is Shanahan's offense. He's going to feature who he wants to feature. In his estimation, it's Pettis is his best guy. Now, clearly Kittle is his best guy. Yeah. So that means Pettis is number two. Those are basically going to be 1A and 1B in the passing game, and everyone else is going to fight for what's left of the targets. I think Pettis, if he stays healthy healthy for 16 games, I have written down here 50 catches, 850 yards. I don't know how many touchdowns he would get. Uh, he did get a lot of touchdowns, and, and he, he had a high touchdown rate last year. I don't know if that would carry over this year, but I'm thinking roughly 50, 50 catches, uh, 80 targets, 850 yards. Uh, a number two receiver. But again, when you were investing in Dante Pettis, much like Jimmy – Garoppolo, what you're the question is durability. I mean, mm-hmm. to me on the field last year, every time he got the ball, I was like, oh my God, like he's gonna get hurt. He's yeah. he looks small. He doesn't have that NFL musculature that someone like Christian Kirk, who's about the same size, you can see it. I mean, he looks like he's a he can take a hit. Uh Dante Pettis looked like, oh my God, I hope he gets up. And there were three or four times in in the uh season where he didn't really get up very quickly and he had injuries the whole year. I think Shanahan is expecting is sort of comparing him to Kittle because Kittle had a lot of injury issues his rookie year too and had nice moments and then just exploded his second year, had a totally different body and uh, made a huge leap. A lot Coaches a lot of times talk about players making their biggest leap between, between years one and year two. I think Shanahan is hoping slash expecting mm. Pettis to make a similar leap that Kittle made. I don't necessarily uh, expect it as, as much unless Pettis has a, a, a totally different body. But again – 50 catches, 80, 850 yards. If that's what, if that helps your fantasy team, I think that's what you could get if you get 16 games from them, and that's not a guarantee. 
Yes, absolutely. And, and speaking of injury-prone, uh, Goodwin, Marquise yeah. Goodwin, a guy that a lot of people were taking in round five or so in fantasy last year. That chemistry with Jimmy G was undeniable in their first few games together, but then mm-hmm. Jimmy couldn't stay healthy, then Goodwin couldn't stay healthy. Is there any chance of a rebound here? Is he kind of on the outs now that they've added all these rookies? Well, at the end of the season, Shanahan made it real clear that in the, the plan for this season is to use Goodwin – more judiciously more sparingly mm-hmm. that he provides value to the offense but he's not durable enough to be a starter and the more you play him the more frequently he breaks down and the less often you have him so the idea is if you back him off use him like half of the snaps instead of three quarters of the snaps maybe you get more games out of him mm-hmm. so i think the idea is instead of having him be the starting split end the starting x receiver have him be the number three receiver uh, in a lot of situations, like the Taylor Gabriel role uh, in in Atlanta three years ago with mm-hmm. when Kyle Shanahan was Shanahan was there when Julio Jones was a split end. Uh, gotcha. uh, Sanu was the flanker and he would move into the slot and, and Taylor Gabriel would be the number three guy on the outside. I think that's how they could how they could use Goodwin a lot. But that the issue with that number three receiver is I think it'll be like situationally dependent. Like in the middle of the field, if it's second and ten and they want to use three receivers, they'll bring in Goodwin to have a deep threat. But if it's third and three, they might rather have Debo or Trent Taylor yeah. on the field. Or if it's if it's the red zone, you may not see Goodwin at all. So I, I think he's probably going to be below 40 catches. He might be in the more like the 30 range. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be fighting for targets with Kendrick Bourne, uh, Trent Taylor, and the run and the running backs. Who do you see as that that who? I mean, that, obviously they don't have a Julio type of player. Is that Pettis? So is he that? It's Kittle. It's okay, Kittle. we're gonna get to him in a second. Compare yeah. like the, the yards and the targets and the catches for uh, Julio Jones in 2016 and Kittle last year. They're pretty similar. Now, obviously, he's not Julio Jones, but in mm-hmm. terms of the uh, emphasis in the passing game and and like the usage, it's to use a basketball term. It's it's certainly Kittle. Absolutely. I mean, he just had. We'll we'll skip the running backs for a second. And just stay with the passing game. Sure. Uh, you know, eight, 88 catches, thirteen hundred thirty-seven yards, an NFL record for a tight end. Five TDs as a sophomore for Kittle. He's he's going to be the first Forty Nine er drafted, and rightfully so. He's earned that, and at a tight end position that's been so hit or miss outside of that Kittle and Kelsey and, and Zach Ertz. Outside of them, there's really was nobody you could depend on week to week. But Kittle was unbelievable. One of the fantasy steals of the draft. Is there any reason to expect him to improve? Could he regress now that teams are more aware of him? What do you expect from Kittle as his third, his third season here? Okay, reasons he could improve. Mm-hmm. He only caught five touchdown passes last year. Yeah. And the year before that, he had two. He hasn't been established as a weapon in the red zone yet. They don't really trust him to make contested catches. They like to use him as like a run-after-the-catch guy, which is so unique for a tight end. Mm-hmm. And he's great at it, as we've seen. So if they can find new ways to get him the ball in the red zone, he could actually double his touchdown uh, output. And you figure, even though he's not good at making contested catches, there ought to be other ways you can get him the ball in the red zone because he's so talented. He's so a I big boy, like, too, right? Like, isn't he like six? He's a pretty big boy, four. too, right? Yeah, exactly. He's, yeah, I mean, he's not like a go-up-and-get-it guy like, like Eric Ebron or, mm-hmm. or even Zach Ertz, but he, there are ways to get him the ball yeah. in the red zone beyond just like a screen. Like mm-hmm. they, they can be more creative with that or like a, or a deep crossing route, which they tried with him last year. So I think there will be more creativity with how they use him. The, the downside with Kittle is if you remember back to his rookie year, he was hurt the whole time. Mm-hmm. He's not the biggest tight end. In fact, you'd probably call him undersized. He's about 
250 pounds, but he plays like he's 270. He's very physical in the run game. He takes a lot of hits. So will the injuries come back? It's the same issue with every player on the 49ers. I feel like I'm yeah. repeating myself. But more specifically to the tight end position, we saw it with Gronkowski. When mm-hmm. he started to take over the league, like defensive players like, almost targeted him. Like, yeah. they, he got hit really hard in some very compromised uh, positions and some some painful places. He he was hurt a lot in his career. And a tight end running down the middle of the field, it's a very big target. Defensive backs go low. They take out knees. I mean, I, I'm not predicting that, that George Kittle's going to get a horrific injury, but I do believe clearly, as you as you pointed out, he's going to be much more – much more of a focus of defensive game planning, and I, mm-hmm. I feel like he's going to get. Uh, he may get. He He may get some serious hits this year, which is part of you know part of the territory as being a tight end. So yeah, definitely one of the top five tight ends you would want to draft in fantasy football. But always got to um, keep in mind that he was a basically um, injured his entire rookie year, and he's only had two years in the league. Absolutely. Do you expect him to? Make that positive regression for TDs. I saw you had an awesome Twitter post where you did all the different ways they could use him. Do you think the coaching staff is drawing that stuff up? What do you expect from him? You know, I'd like to think they are, but then you go back and look at Julio Jones under Kyle Shanahan, and he kind of had the same issue. Mm -hmm. Like, I was looking at 2016, he had 1,400 yards and only six touchdowns. And, I mean, that's not a – that's not anything. That's nothing against Julio Jones. I think it shows a philosophy that Kyle Shanahan uh, would rather than figure out ways to get the ball to his best player in close quarters. Mm-hmm. He would rather use that player as a decoy and try to get the ball to other people who have one-on-one options. Mm-hmm. And maybe that, maybe that, maybe there's um, logic behind that behind that rationale. But Shanahan has struggled in the red zone his entire career. I mean, he's yeah. been. He's been an OC 11 years, and I think he's ranked – no, I know he's ranked bottom half in the league in red zone efficiency eight of those years. Oof. So uh, he, he should – I mean, if he's being honest with himself, he would need to do some serious self-scouting mm-hmm. on the plays he's calling, the concepts he's calling, and how he's featuring uh, George Kittle. But I'm, I, he, he's a very – he's very sure of himself, to put yeah. it to mildly, Kyle Shanahan. And I think he's probably going to keep doing what he's been doing and uh, spread the ball around in the red zone. Maybe use guys like Debo, Jalen Hurd, even Dante Pettis, who are getting more one-on-one matchups down there. Absolutely. And let's turn to the, the run game, where Shanahan has been a very proven productor, that zone-blocking scheme. We've had some fantasy running back monsters in the past, uh, but we've also had some frustrating committees. And right now, this looks mm. almost impossible to project. we got mm. you know Tevin Coleman joining this team in free agency. He brings Mostert back, and he even goes out and says, we could have four active backs every game this year. So, I mean, you never know what's going to happen with Shanahan. I breed a last year. almost He led the league in rushing for a few weeks there. But then he goes and gets Coleman, Jarek McKinnon's coming back. How do yeah. you think this this work is going to be uh, distributed between all these guys? Is there going to ever be anyone reliable? Or what do you, what's your view of this backfield? Yeah, you know, this is kind of like it, – it's a tough one from a fantasy football perspective. Mm-hmm. Which one do you – it's a crapshoot really because yeah. this is how it's going to – this is the thinking and this is how it's going to play out. Breed is terrific, but he got hurt instantly last year. He's not durable. He's small. You can't count on him, and you really shouldn't be giving him more than 10, 10 carries a game. Yeah. Uh, McKinnon, coming off a of torn ACL, you shouldn't be counting on him to have more than 10 carries a game. And then Tevin Coleman has never averaged more than 10 carries a game in his career. That's pretty much what he gives you. As, as uh, Also, he'll give you a couple of catches a game, too. Mm-hmm. So I think the idea is 
to have those three split carries, all three, to mm-hmm. keep to preserve each one of them because two of them, McKinnon and Breida, have in, have had injury issues, and the other one, Coleman. I mean, you're signing him. I would imagine you're not signing him to drastically increase his workload. I think they like the role he played in, in Atlanta, and they'd like him to replicate that here. That being said, I mean, a th- so a, a three-pronged uh, committee, and Shanahan did this in 2014 when he was with Cleveland. He had Ben Tate, Terrence West, and Isaiah Crowell, and they all pretty much split carries. So that's a that's not good news from a fantasy football perspective, but what, what could and probably will happen is since these guys are so small, these running backs, and, and injury-prone as they've proven in the past – if and when one of them goes down, then the other two are going to get more more carries. I mean, a- as the season goes on, one will sort of become the bell cow by default, you know, mm-hmm. by you know because he's the last guy standing. Right. So what you could do is you could draft Matt Breida in like the very end, and by, by week eight, you could have one of the best running backs in the league. But it's kind of like taking a you know a long shot bet, but it could pay off. So why not? Absolutely, yeah. Great stash and see approach. And they all go pretty cheap because everyone recognizes this is crowded. It's going to be a mess, but you're right. The, the injury concerns with so many of One them. More if you point, have... Real quick, on the yeah, sure backs, thing. they're going to be involved heavily in the passing game. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Coleman gets 40 targets and, used, uh, nah, and McKinnon gets 40 targets. Both of those guys combining to get 80 to 90 targets. And um, I, I think the result of that will be fewer targets for Kyle Juszczyk, who is their fullback offensive weapon the last couple of years he's not that fast he's not that dynamic or dangerous for a weapon I think they're gonna uh try to get the uh get the ball into the running back's hands the way that um they did in in Atlanta with Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman in the passing game what do you think about the goal line do you have any guesses as to who might get those valuable touchdowns it's a great, great question because really it's not what Breida should be doing. He's not a goal line back. It's certainly not what McKinnon should be doing. So mm-hmm. I think the guy who'll get the first opportunity is Tevin Coleman, who's about, what, 210 pounds, 205? Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah I, I think he'll get a shot. And if he struggles, then Jalen Hurd comes into the picture because he was a running back in the SEC mm-hmm. and he does weigh about 230 pounds. Now, he's a wide receiver. They gave him a wide receiver number. And he had serious issues with concussions in the in the SEC, which is why he transferred out. He left the conference, went to the Big 12, where they don't really play defense, and became a wide receiver. So I don't know if he even wants to play running back. Shanahan said he's going to play him at running back in his uh, post-draft press conference. So I think that would be something they would tinker around with uh, mm-hmm. mid- into the midway through the season if they're having uh, trouble with Coleman. Absolutely, yeah. So a nightmare to project early on, but if you get the yeah. guy that is the last man standing, whoever right. that might be, right. by Good week luck. eight. And that's how the running back position always is in fantasy. Yeah, you got your Zeeks yeah. and your Gurleys, but if you get a couple of those, your flex, you end up finding that right guy at the right time. It, it could propel you to Win. the titles. So yeah. exactly. we've seen Breida have 150-yard two TD days. Maybe it's going to yeah. be him come week eight. Maybe it's Coleman. Who knows who it will be, but I'll, I'll still be drafting you Real quick, yeah. uh, it, it, when they're all healthy, Mm-hmm. You could say, who's their best running back? Week one, who should be on the field on first and 10? Right. Well, Breida averaged like 6.2 yards per carry on first and 10 last year. Mm-hmm. He's the he's the the most the cheapest of them, and it'd probably be the easiest guy to stash on the bench, but how do you keep him off the field when you're getting that kind of production on first and 10? I mean, he doesn't give you the same type of uh, receiving threat out of the backfield, but just running the ball, I mean, I'll take six yards. 
Yeah, absolutely. He he was awesome to watch when he was healthy. I mean, it seemed like every yeah. other week he was dying on the NFL field, and like you thought you'd never right. see him again. And then he's back yeah. in the next week. You're like, what is going That's on right. here? But yeah. it, when he's healthy and when he's right, I loved watching Brita play. So yeah. he's he's kind of the guy. He goes the cheapest now too. Everyone likes the fact that McKinnon's returning, and everyone loved him before he got hurt last year. And then Coleman's the flashy new guy. So Brita kind of is that third man out, but he. I wouldn't be he shocked at all. He might be the all. best he's, running back in the entire team, so definitely that's a good totally. guy to get late. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah. so this one might seem a little bit random, but I just don't know much about this guy, and, and that's the 49ers ex-QB coach, and, and now he's the Broncos' mm-hmm. offensive coordinator. I think it's pronounced Rich Scangarello. Did I say that right, Scangarello? I think it's, Scangar- I think it's a hard G, but hard I, either G. way, Scangarello. <laughs> Whoever he is, I mean, Mullins had some solid production. You know, is this a guy that is going to bring some interesting flair to the Broncos? Is it going to yeah. be a Shanahan style offense over there? What What do you think the Broncos fans could expect from this guy? Yeah, well, if you saw Broncos fans know this, but the, Fangio was originally considering Gary Kubiak, mm-hmm. even interviewed Gary Kubiak, and decided I don't want Gary Kubiak. And I think the reason was he felt Gary Kubiak was a little bit too stuck in his ways and unwilling to evolve and adapt with mm-hmm. what has the trends that have been going around the league recently. So I think the reason he went and got Scangarello is Scangarello runs the same basic template of offense that Gary Kubiak runs. Gary Kubiak was the mentor for Kyle Shanahan. Mm-hmm. Shanahan was Kubiak's offensive coordinator with the Texans in, oh, was it, 08, 09? Mm-hmm. Um, so Scangarello – was mentored by Shanahan. It's like you know a direct a direct line. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be the same style of offense, but what's going to be different about it is, like Shanahan does, Scangarello is going to integrate the jet sweep, mm-hmm. the RPO, all those new trendy things that Gary Kubiak probably wouldn't. Yeah. That he you know he hasn't kept in, uh, up to date with. Scangarello has, and Fangio would be interested in those things because he's coming from Chicago with, with uh, what's the what, What's the head coach's name over there? He's the Andy Reid. Nagy, yeah. Nagy, Matt Nagy, Matt Nagy, yeah, Nagy. Nagy, yeah. And that's a total RPO uh, system. Mm. Um, combined with Fangio's defense, that team had a lot of success last year. It makes Absolutely. sense for for Fangio to want to bring some of those concepts with him to Denver. He's seen how he's seen firsthand how um, effective they can be. So I think that's why uh, Scangarella was appealed to him. Absolutely. So wrap this thing up here. Uh, the 49ers entering last season, they were one of the buzziest teams. You were a little bit down on them, but now we got Jimmy G coming back. Uh, some interesting defensive moves in free agency at uh, Bose at the top. Do you see them turning this thing around? What's your season prediction for these guys? I don't see them turning this thing around. Uh, I'm fading the 49ers, and um, yeah, I, I don't really feel any differently about them than I did last year. I still don't believe in in Kyle Shanahan or Jimmy Garoppolo last year I predicted seven wins and I'm not saying the team has gotten worse but I'm predicting six wins this year I think the schedule is just brutal like they have four games in the eastern time zone and they haven't won a game in the eastern time zone since 2014 they were 0 and 8 on the road last year uh every like almost every starter on the team has a serious injury history Mm -hmm. um yeah, I just I think this is a team that most of the country and even most of the Bay Area is constantly expecting them to be on the cusp and like every year it's the same story like hey they're about to be good, they're about to be good and they're not and they never really make they never really live up to expectations. Um they they already have the Rams in their in their division. That's that's two losses right there. 
Mm-hmm. They have the Seahawks. That's at least one loss. They're not going to win in Seattle. And Arizona, you think that's a terrible team, but the Niners haven't beaten them since 2014, and they lost to them twice last year. And now with Kyler Murray and this air raid offense, that's going to mm-hmm. be a, a surprising team. I see the over-under for them is five wins. I wouldn't be surprised if they beat that and ended up with more like six or seven and it's possible the Niners could even finish last in the NFC West. Um, I think Kyler Murray has more upside right now than Jimmy Garoppolo. And I wouldn't be surprised if Kyler Murray had a better season than Jimmy Garoppolo did. I, I mean, the thing, it all comes down to Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Mm-hmm. And to Kyle Shanahan to an extent as well. The question with Jimmy Garoppolo is, is uh, to use a, a cliche, is, is he a football player? Mm-hmm. We see the tools, right? He's the right height. He has good footwork. He has a strong arm. He's accurate. He has a quick release. I, I would compare him to like Marcus Mariota. Mariota has all the tools. It looks mm-hmm. right. But there he just doesn't play enough. Yeah. There's some type of disconnect. And you see a guy like Nick Mullins behind uh behind Jimmy Garoppolo. Like Jimmy Garoppolo Nick Mullins has no tools. But he's a football player. He got hit a lot. He got up every time. Yeah. Is Jimmy Garoppolo gonna be the kind of guy who's always nursing something if so it's nothing against him it's just very few people have the body to stand up to the nfl um you know collisions and violence and maybe he's not one of them i don't know until he shows me he can play 16 games i'm uh betting against this team i i, I totally fair I, I love that is he a football player you know if you've played the sport you know how physical it can be on the body and there are those guys that just seem to be able to play every single down no matter what and there's the guys that yeah you know, to pull themselves out in the nagging little hamstring or whatever it might be. So I totally get that. Let's say, I know that was supposed to be the last question, but let's say he does play 16 and they still finish towards the bottom, if not the bottom team in that division. Is Shanahan on the hot seat? Or is he, it seems like yeah. this, this, this whole reputation think, around this guy, whether it's deserved or not, that he's the next bright young genius. But yeah. is he truly that good? Like, could he be on the hot seat this year? Well, well, let's, I think it's possible that Garoppolo mm-hmm. does play 16 games and the Niners still win only six games because the way the roster is constructed, he's making so much money. It's not really a complete team. They still have holes. Yeah. Like they're not like the Rams who are paying their quarterback very little and this have like a stacked team everywhere. Right. Like no needs. The Niners have very young receivers who have proven very little and they have a, a defensive backfield. That's probably the worst in the league. They gave up 35 touchdown catches, only intercepted two passes yeah. were last in the league in pass breakups they all, all all they did to improve it was bring in Jason Verrett, who hasn't played in three years, yeah. really, <laughs> and may injury. not play at all. So mm-hmm. now they're going to be facing a, a you know a team like the Cardinals twice a year that's running an air raid offense. It's going to go four wide, five wide, four verticals down the field. They're going to try to target the Niners' safeties deep, get those guys isolated one on one against guys like Christian Kirk and Andy Isabella. It's going to be bad if the Niners play zone coverage. They're going to have mm-hmm. to have. Uh, safety's covering those guys. If they play man coverage, then Kyler Murray's going to run all over them. I mean, I, th- I think the Niners' defensive backfield is really going to hold them back this year. It's going to hold back uh, the team. And I think so. You're asking me, is Kyle Shanahan going to be on the hot seat? Well, he should be. If he can't get a, a 500 record into his third year, that's not good. Especially if you look around the league, most teams, if they're on the right track, they start showing real progress by year two. I mean, mm. we're expecting that from the Browns. We saw it from the Bears last year. The turnarounds happen fast. The, the, the Niners have been sort of stuck in neutral. So if if they, if they go six and ten this year, should would Kyle Shanahan get fired? I doubt it. Um, it would make it would it would make Jed York look stupid. He's mm-hmm. done so much firing recently, 
And I don't think he wants to make himself look in, incompetent again. So what he could do, and there was a report that just came out yesterday, which sort of um, indicates that this would be the direction the Niners would go. John Lynch would be the guy on the hot seat. Mm-hmm. If you fire Kyle Shanahan, there's a there's probably a hundred percent chance that he would get another job in the league, either either as a h- offensive coordinator or as a head coach, mm-hmm. because he has a good. First of all, he had a good reputation as an offensive coordinator. He could organizations could say, you know what, he wasn't a head coach, but let's bring him back and let him do the job he was born to do. Or they could say, you know, everyone fails in San mm-hmm. Francisco. Let's give him a shot here. Yeah. So it's it's dangerous to fire him. If you fire John Lynch. He hasn't really done anything as a general manager. I don't mm-hmm. think any team would be like, oh, that's a guy we have to get either right. as a GM or as a scout. You know, um, I think he'd have to at best go back to being a broadcaster or just retire. So it's mm-hmm. way easier to just say, you know, um, we hired a GM who wasn't a GM. It's time to get to give Kyle Shanahan a real personnel man and then and then see what Kyle Shanahan can do when he's only uh, coaching players and not also in charge of um, scouting them and evaluating talent as well. I think that's probably where this would, this is headed. Absolutely. Alrighty, man. Well, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's another fantastic interview filled with the scorching takes we love from you. Uh, very realistic perspective of the 49ers, which we like. A lot of beat writers, we have them on, and they, they'll blow up smoke up their team's ass until the cows come home. And you're, you're really realistic about the injury concerns and everything that's not, not right with the 49ers right now. So we appreciate that perspective and those takes, my man. Well, I hope they were scorching enough for you. Uh, thanks for having me on. Always, always a good time, brother. Thanks for catching up. Of course. That, again, was Grant Cohen of the Santa Rosa Press Democrat with another fantastic interview for the Fantasy Fullback Dive. If you liked what you heard, you want to connect with Grant, you can find him at Grant Cohen um, on Twitter. He's always interacting with his fans, does tons of periscopes, all that great stuff. Uh, so connect with Grant. He's very well-spoken about his football, and he'll give it to you how he feels, which is fantastic. If you want to connect with me for some fantasy football goods, you know you can find me at Roto Street Wolf, and you can subscribe to this podcast. We're going to have interview after interview like this with different beat writers, different fantasy experts, and our own standalone shows, which are always fire. Last episode, breaking on the top 10 rookies for redraft, not dynasty, redraft 2019 purposes. So if you haven't heard that one, a must listen. You can check us out at ffbdpod.com, ffbdpod.com, baby. Check it out. Uh, and that's it. Wolfpack, hope you enjoyed it. RotoStreetJournal.com. Check out that site. We're going to win you that 2019 title. Peace. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, oh, oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show. Football right there, folks.